Welcome to Covered in Glory, the new study abroad option on the Extra Points Podcast Network. I'm your host, Toby Mergler, and with me is Brett Corominos. Say hi, Brett. What's up, everybody? Oh, look at that. Dynamite stuff already. You can feel <laughs> feel the intensity radiating uh, off of the pitch. My charisma is just going to overwhelm people on this podcast. <laughs> well, all of you won't brag for yourself. I'll brag for you. Brett is the uh, Kevin De Bruyne here. He's one of the best in the world. He's going to intelligently pull strings from the midfield. He's going to make all teammates better. Where I'm more of like the Ross Barkley of the show, full of positive <laughs> intent, always chasing the action, but I'm an absolute liability if the team's going to be good one day. Uh, but, you know, through pure nepotism, I get the chance to have Brett here trans- transform me from a passionate dumbass sitting on my couch to just an average wanker, which would be huge progress. He's going to take my gut reactions and put some actual analysis behind them to see if they're, you know, slightly nutty like a David Luiz or like Mario Balotelli level crazy. Uh, and for those of you kind of new to the sport, go Google Mario Balotelli and fireworks and tell me you're completely hooked for life. Uh, now, because oh, this is an extra points joint, we'll be talking about the odds and our favorite props uh, in each of the top Premier League games. So whether you've been married to the beautiful game your whole life or you're simply soccer curious and want to put 10 bucks down to have a piece of the action, we got you covered. So what do you say, Brett? You ready to have some fun? Let's do this. Let's try not to lose people too much money, man. Oh, you know, I don't know about that. <laughs> but books are the ones who pay us. They haven't paid us a cent yet. Screw you guys. I'm just kidding. <laughs> If you're losing, I'm losing, and uh, I can't afford it. Look how I dress, my God. All right, so first game that we're going to talk about this week. uh, Headline action in the Premier League is Liverpool versus Arsenal. 12.30 p.m. on Saturday. Liverpool is currently sitting fourth in the table, 22 points. Arsenal is fifth on 20 points, so running neck and neck. Uh, on On the lines, Liverpool is minus 210 to win. Arsenal is plus 500. And new to Americans, there's a draw line. I know that's not common in the way you usually consume it, but uh, you know what? It happens so frequently in sports, you got to be able to have action on that as well. So the draw here is plus 380. Um, only injury that I feel is worth noting, actually two, uh, and Brett, you know, you can tell me if you think there's other important guys to point out, but Liverpool's going to be missing Firmino and most likely Jordan Henderson. Anybody else you'd shout out on the injury list? Well, I mean, really, Liverpool's entire midfield is on the injured list right now. Um, it looks like James Milner's a doubt. Uh, Curtis Jones should be out. Uh, Navi Keita might be out. Um, so, I mean, we're going to be, they're going to be digging deep into the academy here, maybe if they're going to rock three midfielders. But as we'll find out in our first little teaser that may actually play um, into their hands and make it a little bit of a better edge for us betting the gens. <laughs> nice. I don't know who you're calling degenerate. Uh, <laughs> just myself. It's just, it's, it's basically a self-reflective thing. <laughs> All right. Well, look, it feels like forever ago, but Liverpool's last match ended with a shock upset to West Ham as the uh, hammers kind of declared their intent to challenge for at least a little while longer uh, into probably boxing day. I mean, they're really looking strong and, and holding with the kind of behemoths that usually spend way above their level. Um, Van Dyke was imperious in that game. Alexander Arnold was really top class and they still lost. Uh, you know, when I was watching, it seemed like Allison was really appearing to struggle on set pieces that were delivered close to the goal mouth. Uh, he didn't really come out and command his space properly. And he's, you know, one of the top two or three in the world. So wasn't exactly sure what was going on. He kind of seemed afraid to touch people, which is probably good because in Arsenal's last game, they were making an absolute meal out of every bit of contact. They kind of look like extras in a John Wick movie, like twisting cinematically as they hit the deck. 
And by the way, John Wick is one of roughly 1,200 things I'd rather watch than Arsenal. I'll probably go <laughs> to the other 1199 over the course of the uh That's, uh, a, that's actually smaller. Podcast. I think my list is about 2,000, so. <laughs> well, look, Arsenal's, uh, as much as I might not like watching them, they're certainly getting results right now. They haven't lost since the end of August against Man City, and they've rocketed up the table. Um, you know, overall in this game, I think it's really hard to bet against Poole given their attacking quality, but I really hated their defensive organization so much in the last game, and they feature a lot of talisman for the national team coming off kind of uh, some intense international duty. So I don't think I have confidence that they'll fix what ailed them in the last time around. Uh, and I just don't like the odds for uh, you know paying minus 210 for them to win. So with Ramsdale fresh off of his cap and full of confidence and really on form uh, in the goal for Arsenal, I'm going to take the draw at plus 380. What are you seeing, Brett? Uh, yeah, you and I are already uh, at odds, man. First one, first match, and here we are. Um, I, I think that we've kind of seen this story a little bit before from Arsenal. Um, they are, you know, I think they're what, like fifth in the table, but they are extremely outperforming kind of underlying numbers, the things that most team, um, teams regress to the mean to. And we've seen this before. This is an Arsenal thing. They run hot, then they drop, and everybody's like, what the fuck happened when it was pretty obvious that we were going to see a little bit of a drop-off. And you mentioned Ramsdale. He's been awesome. He's been saving a bunch of shots that should turn into goals against them um, without really a track record of doing that. Um, But the big thing for Liverpool is I think the defensive performances when they've been weakest has been tied to the fact that their midfield is totally in flux right now. And Oxlade Chamberlain has been getting a lot of minutes. This is a guy who actually is a former Arsenal player that came over to Liverpool. He's been hurt. He's really been like actually playing consistently in the side for the first time since maybe I remember in his actual Liverpool career. Um, And he's not a guy that when you put him in a midfield three is going to help much with the defensive aspect. So it opens him up a little bit more. And I don't think it really, they get the sufficient attacking quality back in return for his defensive deficiencies. But this week, because of the fact that there's almost literally no senior midfielders left in Liverpool, um, Thiago and Fabinho might start in the midfield together. And you are talking about two of the best defensive midfielders um, and ball progressors, guys that move the ball up the pitch into the, the dangerous areas um, that you have in the Premier League. And as much as Liverpool's been, you know, their rise has been tied to Van Dyke. It's really when Fabinho moved into the number six role, that base of the midfield, a guy that kind of ties things together, um, that their defense really took off. And then you're going to add Thiago, who's another world-class midfielder, really good with the defensive stuff, really good at moving the ball forward. They're going to tie, they're going to tidy things up. I think you're, if they both start and they're both in the starting 11, we are going to see a defense that just looks a lot tighter. And that attack is going to cut through Arsenal like warm butter. I thought Mo Salah would be at a point where he was going to be washed given all his international minutes. I thought he was a prime candidate for a guy that was going to age quickly and, you know, start going downhill, but the dude's a freak. Um, I mean, he's going to, he's leading, you know, one of the best attacks in the world and Arsenal's defensive deficiencies. They've gotten smashed whenever they played two of the better teams in the premier league, they've lost a combined seven, nothing to Chelsea and city. Um, so I'm actually not only going to not take Arsenal, I'm going to add in the spread for Liverpool of minus one, minus one and a half at uh, minus one Oh two. Cause I think that they, they might run up the score. This one could get ugly. 
All right. I, I'm very thankful that you took the spread instead of a minus 210 favorite uh, in your opening prediction. Come on. Yeah. We're here to live a little bit, Brent. I know, right? Oh. We got we to walk that line. So in addition to doing the lines of the game, uh, one of the most fun things in soccer is to do the props. So you can be doing things like, uh, you know, first to score, total number of goals, total number of shots. And then you can get all the way down to things like corners and bookings and alternate lines and all those sorts of things. So while the game lines are arguably the most efficient betting market in the world, given the global dominance of soccer and how long people have been wagering uh, on this sport kind of globally and not just in the U.S., um, those, those lines are kind of hard, hard to beat. You have fun with them. You talk about them, you make your prediction, but I think there's a little more looseness in the prop market. And so in every game, not only are we going to talk about the final score, we're going to give some predictions on the individual events that are going to take place. So for this game, I'm taking uh, Trent Alexander Arnold to get an assist at plus 300. I know I took Arsenal to draw. That was a lot of it was about the odds, but, uh, Trent Alexander Arnold has been absolutely awesome. There's a lot of debate about him. Like if you're uh, an American sports fan listening to this, it's a little Russell Westbrookie uh, or Russell Russell Westbrookie. You think I would pronounce the American names? I'm rattling off European soccer players, no problem. But I can't get Russell freaking Westbrook right. Um, but you know, a lot of people on both sides of it, and I guess the big difference here is Trent Alexander Arnold's actually won some things. Uh, but I loved what I saw against him at West Ham. He was whipping dangerous. Uh, he was whipping dangerous crosses over and over again into the box. His teammates usually have to pay about five thousand dollars a bottle to get this good a service. I like three to one for him to put it on somebody's head and for them to get an easy goal into the net. So, what do you think, Brett? I mean, that, that's definitely a good one. Um, and ours are going to kind of be in the same vein. Uh, Liverpool at plus <laughs> plus two and a half goals or over are plus 140. And as I mentioned, I think that this is um, the Arsenal defense is definitely probably looked a lot better than it actually is Liverpool. And you're going to hear this phrase a lot from me and Toby and I can explain it for you here, but Liverpool average 2.49 um, non penalty expected goals. So an expected goal is basically a statistically way of saying that a bunch of people have taken a lot of shots over the years in soccer, assigned a value to them. And then we kind of understand that shots from certain locations equate to a certain value. And it's a way for us to kind of see if performances are fluky or if they're actually, you know, on par with the great results that we see. And so we know that Liverpool's underlying numbers tell us that they are consistently creating tons of good shots. They're consistently right at the 2.5 mark that the line is at. And now it's going to play up a little bit because Arsenal just is not the defensive team that I think they've looked at because they've been running a little hot. Ramsdale's been playing a little well. Um, I think any time that you got that going for you, you're going to have a little bit of an edge. So I'm taking that plus 140 and the over two and a half goals. So uh, what Brett is talking about is known colloquially as XG. So if you hear us say XG, we are talking about expected goals and not the rating of a children's movie that unexpectedly unexpectedly features hardcore gratuitous nudity. <laughs> uh, all right. So that's all we got to say about Liverpool and Arsenal. And I uh, hope you guys enjoy that because that is the marquee matchup this weekend. Moving a little bit farther down the slate, uh, let's look at Leicester City and Chelsea. Leicester City is 12th in the table right now on 15 points. Chelsea is top of the table at 26 points. Uh, game is kicking off the weekend, so it's going to be 7.30 a.m. Eastern on Saturday. 
Leicester is plus 360. Chelsea is minus 125. The draw is plus 265. Now, look, we're all just getting to know each other here, and I think it's really important to admit biases early on. So uh, I am a proud and currently very happy Chelsea supporter. Uh, so you've been warned. I don't. He's like also president money. of the Connor Gallagher fan club, so you can probably find him hosting chats on that side as well. So I, I don't know. I mean, can Clubhouse even fit that many people in a room? They're going to have to like, kind of <laughs> up their game if we're going to talk Connor Gallagher. Um, <laughs> but look, I don't like losing money, so I'll try to show some restraint. Uh, I'll pick them to win no more than thirty-eight times a season in the Premier League. Uh, <laughs> so I'll, I'll try to you know be a little bit neutral. Um, look, they are still top of the table despite a disappointing draw last time out on Burnley. They missed chance after chance, and then kind of like Jake Gyllenhaal, they got devastated out of nowhere on a, a late equalizer against the run of play by Burnley. It, it was disappointing dropping the two points, but, you know, with Liverpool getting beat by West Ham, um, the weekend could have been worse. Uh, look, I also, while we're admitting biases, I have Danish blood, so I'm genetically predisposed to fawn over Caster Schmeichel at all times. Uh, so it's really going to be tough going against him this weekend. Jamie Vardy is indiscriminate about causing heart attacks for both his opponent's fans and his own. Uh, he's all action. He's kind of a guy after my own heart. Um, but look, with so many of weapon of Chelsea's weapons back, I think they get just enough to win the game and stay top of the table for another week. So I'm going to take them at minus 125. And you know what? This is trouble because we're agreeing right here. Um, I'm also going Chelsea straight money line. Um, and my reason is going to be a little bit different. Um, we in the soccer community, it's really hard right now to tell exactly the value of a midfielder, but I'm about to go Ace Ventura because Lester is going to be missing Yuri Tillman's. And this is what Tillman's does for Lester. He leads the team in key passes, which means passes that lead to a shot. He leads the team to passes in the final third, which means passes into the opponent's attacking area. He leads the team in progressive passes, which means passes of at least 10 yards that move the ball closer to the opponent's goal. He's second in the most progressive carries, which means the ball at his feet dribbling into the final third. Um, <clears throat> and he takes two and a half shots per game at a pretty decent, you know, usually he gets known for his Thunder Bastards, but his locations are actually pretty good for a midfielder. So bottom line, Yuri Tillman's does a lot of shit that we don't really see because it rarely results in the actual end product. Um, and I think because of the fact that soccer struggles so hard to identify value of players that aren't on either end of a goal, um, we have trouble seeing the impact of losing someone like Tillman's. And Lester without him are going to struggle mightily to even get the ball into dangerous spots because they don't even have another guy that really can step in and replace what he does. James Madison plays a little bit further up the field. They did bring in uh, Bubakari Samare from Lille, and he kind of profiles to do similar things to Tillman's, but he's only 22. He's more of an answer for the future, not against a Chelsea team that's dominating right now. And I just think that Leicester is going to have a hard time even getting close to the Chelsea goal, much less scoring and winning. So I'm with you on the money line. It seems like a good play to me. It's really, it seems like that should be, you should have a much higher penalty for taking Chelsea money line in this match. So I'm actually pretty excited about that line. Yeah, I agree completely. I was expected to be minus 150, minus 175. So laying that little of juice, I'm more than happy to jump on it. 
Um, my prop action for this game is going to be Hudson Adoy to get a single shot on goal at plus 150. Uh, he's one of the only players on Chelsea who isn't just returning from injury or from international team duty. Uh, Chelsea has several big games coming up this week with Juve and, and Man U next weekend. Uh, so I expect uh, Tuchel to take advantage of Hudson and Dory's comparatively fresh legs. He's been leaning on him for the last couple of weeks. He's looked really lively playing out on his natural position on the left rather than out on the wing back. Uh, and if he's going to get the time and he's going to get, you know, kind of some forward facing action, you're damn sure he's going to be shooting the ball. So I'm going to get, uh, say one of these gets on target and we're going to cash the 150. Love it. Well, mine's going to be basically tied in the same vein of there's no Yuri Tillman's playing. Uh, Chelsea is plus 195 for a clean sheet and a win. Um, so, if, you know, we kind of talked about if we think Leicester's going to have trouble scoring, clean sheet play seems like a pretty good avenue to go down, um, especially for the fact that, you know, Chelsea already play a pretty defensive style playing a back three. And, you know, Liverpool, or I mean, sorry, Leicester have a bunch of really good attackers. But if there's no one to supply them the ball in dangerous areas without Tillemans, they're not going to be as effective. Um, so I really like that line. I mean, you're almost getting two to one on a clean sheet. And I think a huge part of the range of this final score is going to be Lester having no goals. Um, so I think you got to go for it and take the 195 and win a little bit of money. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that Watford goal was the first one from open play against Chelsea in the Premier League this year. I mean, they routinely keep clean sheets. They've run great defensive organization, uh, misfire a ton in front of the net, but in front of their own, they're about as solid as it gets. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. So before we jump into the third match, we need to take a really quick break. We'll be right back after this. All right, we're back. So uh, during the break, Brett, I was going on and I was Googling and I'm really happy that uh, in looking at the European tabloids, you haven't put in a transfer request yet. I know one's coming. I know you're going to be agitating to leave. It's just a matter of when you make it official or not, but you made it through the first games without kind of bolting off camera. So I want to thank you for sticking around. I'm real easy, man. Just keep, give me free swag, order me some pizzas. I'm good. I'm I'm, I'm low maintenance. Oh my gosh. You think the two things is low maintenance? Come on, you're a diva in the organizations I work in. Uh, all right, so let's jump into the third. Uh, let's jump into the third match of the weekend. Uh, we're going to look at Watford and Manchester United. 10 a.m. Eastern on Saturday. Watford is 17th at present, uh, sitting on 10 points. Manchester United is sixth on 17 points. Watford is plus 475. Manchester United is minus 190. The draw is plus 350. Uh, for Manchester United, Pogba, Varane, and Cavani will all miss this match. So I'm just going to go ahead and pile on Ole, because why not? Everybody else is. I might as well not try to be too original. Uh, he got thumped in the Manchester Derby last time out, universally kind of panned for the tactics that he took. Uh, they only managed to get three outstanding shots, and two of them were on their own goal. So not exactly what you're looking for out of the Red Devils on that day. Um, this was actually followed by the dreaded vote of confidence from management. And let me put it to you this way. If Sal calls me after the show to give me a vote of confidence, I'm hanging up calling brother Brian, congratulating him for getting my job. Uh, but I actually don't have to worry about that because even though this is the first podcast I've ever hosted in my life, I'm still better suited for my role than Ole. for the rest of the top contenders. He is the gift that keeps on giving. It's incredible that he still has his job. 
Um, you know what? His bad luck is continuing because, you know, Yura Kuska is suspended for Watford, uh, one of their backline defenders. And go ahead and do yourself a favor. Go back and watch his play in the sixth minute of the game against Arsenal last match day. It is the Mona Lisa of giving zero Fs. He gives the ball away next to his own goal. He doesn't try to win it back. And then he wanders aimlessly around the box instead of helping with the scramble his own carelessness created. He looks so lost and clueless. I think Manchester United might name him their next manager. Uh, look, if Manchester United don't, don't win this game, Ole's walking home. It's hard to believe a literal all-star team is less than a two-to-one favorite against a strong, strong relegation contender. I'm holding my nose and taking the minus 190. Well, sorry to disappoint you, Toby, but I'm going to blow apart the mystique that I'm some kind of expert right now because I am going to take Watford, even money, at plus one to cover the spread. One of the worst <laughs> Premier, Premier League teams in history going against one of the richest clubs in the world, and I'm going to take them to cover the spread. And oh, now the, we're gambling. Does, Let's do this. this this does this does come with a caveat. Um, so OGS is, as you have mentioned, is just out of ideas. There's no clear identity to this team at all. And he's gone to this back five. And when you play a team as, um, how do I put this in technical jargon, as shitty as Watford, you do not need to play three defenders on the, on the field. So if you guys see a starting 11 with United and there are three defenders and two wingbacks in the starting 11, put that money down on Watford because it's overkill. They don't need to worry about snuffing out a Watford attack. That's just pretty ho-hum. They should be trying to jam the field with as many guys in the final third as possible because they're going to be on the ball. They're going to be trying to break down a team that's sitting deep and the, the problem and the, and the a kind of a microcosm of where, um, Solskjaer's problem is, is you can understand he doesn't he doesn't understand his own personnel because when he goes to a back three, um, a really good manager like Antonio Conte will put wingbacks out there like Archie Hakimi or someone who's in the more attacking mold. Our boy Ole, he goes and rolls out Luke Shaw and Aaron Wan-Bissaka. And Aaron Wan-Bissaka is the equivalent to an NFL shutdown corner. So it would be like putting a blocking tight end in a five wide receiver formation where he's the guy split out to one side. And then Luke Shaw's biggest contribution to a team isn't really what he does when he gets forward and gets into the final third. He's more like an NFL running back. That's really good at moving the chains. His thing is dribbling into the dangerous area. He advances the ball up. He would be much better as like a third center back than the wing back role that Ole currently puts him in. And so in a lot of ways, this bet isn't for anything about what Watford's going to do. It's more about the fact that United is going to shoot themselves in the foot by playing an overly conservative style and make it hard for them to pull away from this game, which is why for even money, getting Watford plus a goal seems like a decent thing when a tie is in one of the ranges, just because they could ugly up this game to the point where it's 0-0, 1-1, and then you got some money coming your way because you took the spread. Brett, isn't this game just screaming out for Sancho? Like, why spend all that money yeah. and then not play him against Watford and play three at the back? Like, like seriously, what the hell's going on? Well, the thing about Sancho is, is, like, he was literally one of the five best young attackers in the world 
and somehow United has found a way to fuck him up, which is like super impressive. Uh, it is, although United is kind of developing this reputation of like where young talents go to die. Um, there always is a tax. Like when you move from a league like the Bundesliga to the Premier League, they, you know, they call it the Bundesliga tax. His production was never going to be quite at that level. Um, but he is one of the most creative final third players in the world. Like his thing isn't necessarily scoring goals. It's about getting into dangerous spots, playing the ball into dangerous spots. So you would think of him as like a perfect complement to Ronaldo, right? Like Ronaldo's going to sit in the box and fucking shoot and score. And Sancho's like the perfect guy to feed him the ball into those spots. And somehow they haven't made this work. And it's like mind boggling to me. Yeah. I, I mean, if only should be fired for a lot of things, but that seems to be top of the list for me. I, I don't understand why you spend the money and then you park him where he is when your entire team is just screaming out for that creative spark. I mean, maybe exactly. the Lewis tax is, is so high that he should be on the bench and, you know, I should be on my couch and we're both in the, the right places because <laughs> I don't know what I'm talking about, but come on, like save the 80 million bucks, give it to me. I'll gamble it away and you'll get the same result. You'll get nothing. It's awesome. <laughs> um, so, for my prop, I was actually looking at Sancho, but I don't trust Ole to play him. Uh, and I think the the betting markets are reflective of that. They don't think that they're going to play him either. And if they did, you know, the odds actually start looking really good for him. But uh, because I don't think he's going to play him, I'm going to go with total bookings, Watford over 1.5, minus 165. You're going to hear this from me a lot. This is one of my favorite bets. It's when a team with really solid uh, frontline attackers play a team near the drop zone. They tend to panic. They drag players back on breakaways. They hack them down right outside the box. Uh, things that draw obvious cards over and over again. And I see both of those things happening. So as far as I'm concerned, this one's easy money. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's kind of like um, there's a lot of evidence that it's a great play. And a, one little small thing that maybe would make you think twice about it. The overwhelming evidence is that Watford foul uh, teams more than any other team in the Premier League. Like by far, like by 20 additional fouls. They also average about two yellow cards a match. So you're pretty much right where you need to be. Um, the only problem is that United like doesn't, they don't have a Jack Grealish. They don't have a guy that's just a foul machine that just draws a ton of fouls. So in some ways it is kind of like, I guess the stoppable force meets the movable object. Um, <laughs> but, but it is going to be interesting to see how that plays out. I, I think the, you're on the right track. Like, I do think that's a good play. I think generally teams that follow a lot are going to follow a lot regardless of who the player is uh, or, or who the opponent is. So I like that play. I went a little bit of a different route, though. Watford's defense is pretty poor. I definitely think that if Watford's going to hang in this game, they may need a goal to do it or at least limit United to one. But I do think a big part of United's range is at least one goal. And the overwhelming favor to create that chance is going to be Bruno Fernandez if Sancho isn't there. He's at plus 110 to assist a goal. Um, his uh, So the next closest player to Bruno in a stat called passes into the penalty area, which, as you can imagine, is what it describes, um, is Paul Pogba. And Pogba is not playing. So literally the only creative spark in the side that will, will probably start, because Sancho should, but he, he likely won't, is going to be Bruno. I think at plus 110, you're getting, you know, positive money to take a shot at the guy that's the overwhelming favorite to create a chance. That's where I'm going. Hmm. 
the movable object was my high school football nickname. So you're really bringing back <laughs> memories for me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry to traumatize you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, moving on, on to our fourth match of the weekend. Manchester City, second, 23 points versus Everton, 11th and 15 points. This game is going to be on 9 a.m. on Sunday. Uh, Manchester City is minus 600. Everton is plus 1,700, which is super tasty. And uh, the draw is plus 675. Silva is questionable for Man City. Um, Look, right before we get into this game, and I told you this was coming, uh, I I wanted to ask you a question about last match day. For those of you who didn't see Everton-Tottenham, there was this kind of wild play where Richarlson and the Spurs goalie Loris kind of crashed into each other in a race for a ball in the box. Richarlison pops up, recovers the ball, and is staring at an empty net when the ref blows the whistle and gives Everton a penalty kick for the contact. So that's great, right? But then the VAR comes in and overturns it uh, because they said Loris got a really small piece of the ball. But what the hell? Richarlison clearly had a chance to score or pass to a teammate for a tap-in. So teach me something here. What am I missing? Why wasn't that advantage? Uh, uh, First off, anybody who had to suffer through that match with me. I, I hope that you're doing well. We can form a support group. Um, after this podcast, I'll, I'll hand out the information. We can try to lift each other up. Um, yeah, but yeah, you can, have the room, you, can, you can have the room after the Connor Gallagher uh, meetings over. It's going to be a yeah. little bit of a different tone. Yeah. It's with very different vibe, very different vibe. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't, I mean, it seemed odd. Cause like I was literally waiting for Richarlison to just shoot at the empty net. Um, when he blew the whistle, I think at that point, I mean, maybe I'm just trying to be too sensible at this. I think the, the, the official has to call the penalty at that point. I don't know the rule book that well, but I'm assuming they have to look at those things as black and white and they can't give it advantage on a possible penalty, but man. Yeah. I mean, it, I think Everton have a chance to win that match if he just lets it play on and then they review it later. Um, but, you know, I think the other thing, too, is like when you looked at it live, it looked like a really obvious penalty. Larice looked like he kind of came through him. He didn't get any of the ball. Um, so I think it was like one of those things where it looked so obvious from the referee's viewpoint that he was like, yeah, you know, they're going to review it, but there's no way this is going to get overturned, you know. And then, the, you know, when VAR comes in, which I mean, that's a whole other thing. Uh, when VAR comes into play, you know, you get the little micro touch off his forefinger that like moved the ball a little bit and then it's no penalty. So, I mean, uh, part of me is upset. Part of me is re- remembers that Richarlison is like my least favorite good Everton player to watch. Um, so I don't know. I've kind of torn all these fronts, <laughs> but yeah, it was, uh, it was definitely a little bizarre. I, I don't know. I mean, maybe some refereeing experts could weigh in on this if we have some in our mentions, but it definitely was a pretty bizarre situation. Well, I just cast the first bet between us because we were talking before the show over who mispronounced the first name. And not only did I miss uh, Russell Westbrook, I called uh, Hugo Lloris Loris. So I think you owe me a Coke. I, well, uh, I mean, I think I think I might have got you with uh, Bubakare Samare. So that's probably fucked up. So I might have actually still won. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll, we'll have to go, get VAR to make a ruling on it. Uh, in our race to the bottom, I'm going to fight you tooth and nail. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so back to this game, the gap between the two Manchester teams becomes really clear when you see Manchester City as a six to one favorite versus a plucky Everton side. And man, you can't even get a two to one against a bottom dweller. 
Uh, obviously, I think City are going to win this, but it's damn near impossible to lay those odds after a two-week layoff, uh, not seeing kind of their current form and the obvious possibility of rust in a junked-up game. So while I think City are most likely to win, if I'm going to put a dollar down on this game, I'm going with the draw at plus 675. Well, uh, again, you and I are going to, you know, take other paths here. Um, I'm actually going to go to the spread again. And I, I think um, City at minus two, minus two and a half at plus 102 is the play because I, I think this is going oh. to get ugly for Everton. Um, and the reason being is under Rafa Benitez, Everton have developed an extreme allergy to actually possessing the football. Um, they're, I think, the second worst team at keeping the ball. They're at 41.1% uh, uh, possession. Uh, on average throughout the season so far. And the way that you play city, at least the blueprint for teams this year that have played them close mid table teams that have played them close has not been to just sit back and try to defend like Benitez's teams do where they're very passive. Everton have allowed the fourth most touches in the attacking third of any uh, in the premier league. The teams behind them are Newcastle powerhouse Norwich I mean, Norwich and Burnley. So that is not good company to keep when you talk about the, uh, the amount of time that an opponent is spending in a dangerous area of the field. And Southampton and Crystal Palace, Crystal Palace won, Southampton held them to a draw. Those teams are a little bit more aggressive in uh, pressing. So basically kind of being a little more aggressive, you know, putting more pressure on the ball, not just sitting back. Um, there's a stat that kind of measures a team aggressive, uh, aggressiveness, um, a website called The Analyst, which is a wonderful site, um, has a bunch of this information. So Everton has um, what's called passes per defensive action. So basically the number of passes that they allow before they move onto the ball. Everton's passes for, per defensive action is 14.5. Crystal Palace is 12.5. They beat um, City at the Etihad. And then Southampton's is 11.1. So they're even more aggressive in pressing um, a really good team and they had much better results. And I think if Everton are going to sit back, they're just going to get torn apart. This is not the way that you, you just don't let that, those, that army of city playmakers have the ball a ton in the final third and expect that you're going to, you're going to stay close. Mm. Hey, do me a favor, Brett, for the couple of new soccer uh, listeners and, and gamblers who are still listening and God bless you. We really appreciate you above all others. Uh, will you tell them a little bit about the spread bet that you're suggesting versus just a pure money line? Yeah. So the spread bet um, in soccer works a little differently. Um, so when it's, when you get two options, so for this one, it's, you know, minus two goals, minus two and a half, uh, basically you get paid out on each one. So if a city win by three goals, you're basically going to win both bets. If city win by two goals, you're going to push one and lose one. Um, but yeah, the spread is just basically the extra cover that you get. You usually get a little bit better odds when you take it than versus pure money line. Um, but soccer is a little goofy in the fact that sometimes it's one number, sometimes it's two, and then you kind of split the bet a little bit. Yeah, it's different than American sports, right? Where you just see Green Bay is minus six and a half and you don't have to worry exactly. about the, the two bets at the same time. So it can be confusing. Uh, you know, we'll we'll continue to mention that from week to week, the differences, but I appreciate you breaking it down for everybody. Of uh, course. My, my prop for this game... You're gonna hate it. We're we're really opposite this game. Uh, and again, I'm I'm kind of playing the odds here more than I think is the single most uh, likely outcome. 
Um, I'm going with total goals. Everton over 0.5 at plus 128. Uh, long layoff since the last game for Manchester City. Potential blowout, which is one thing you're betting on, where they kind of switch off concentration and give up a consolation goal. Uh, random penalty. Lots of players coming off international duty. Richarlison getting back in form. Pick any of these reasons for one ball to go in the net, and I think they'll grind one out and cash the ticket. All right. Well, mine's going to be on the opposite side again. Um, so we're going to see who the real expert is right here. Uh, but I have, a, I have a player. Everybody knows who the real expert is. Stop <laughs> with this, like thinking it's a contest. Hey, you, the, we're we're going to let them decide here for a second. We're, we're going to leave. We're going to let a little mystery to the podcast here. We're going to really oh see. My God, if, anybody who thinks I'm the expert versus you needs to check themselves into the hospital right now. <laughs> it, could right now. Kaiser, it could be a Kaiser. It could be a Kaiser Sose situation. You know, uh, all of a no, sudden you're going to shake out the limp. No, the only thing I share with Kaja Soze is a limp. That's it. <laughs> yeah, but well, my my player prop, since I'm the expert and you should just take mine, ignore Toby then, um, is uh, Jao Cancelo, who is Manchester City's fullback, is plus 500 to score a goal. And as crazy as that sounds, uh, the thing with Jao Cancelo is that he does not operate like a normal soccer fullback. Whereas most fullbacks in soccer kind of play on the outside on the touchline, they play balls into the box. Cancelo is different with the way that Pep Guardiola uses him at city where he like pinches into the midfield and kind of plays, you know, inside like the, the middle third of the field. He's almost like an extra attacking midfielder, especially in a match where um, city are going to have a shitload of the ball and on the season Cancelo, And here's going to be another stat uh, averages 0.14 non-penalty goals per 90. So basically to break that number down, he is about a 14% chance to score a goal. It's one way to look at the number every time that he starts a match. So we're getting five to one on it. But again, when we know that Everton's not going to have any of the ball, that number kind of moves further. And you're probably going to have a little bit of a margin where it's a little bit over or a little bit under five to one where Cancelo could end up scoring, especially because he takes over two shots a match. So if they pin Everton deep and Cancelo's constantly balling the ball in the final third, he could wind up with three, maybe even four shots. So to me, it's kind of a fun long shot prop bet, and it's always nice to hit those long shot odds. Dang right it is. All right, uh, last game we're going to talk about today's show is Tottenham and Leeds. Uh, Tottenham is ninth on 16 points. Leeds is 15th at 11 points. Game is 11.30 a.m. Eastern on Sunday. Tottenham is minus 135. Leeds is plus 350. The draw is plus 300. And uh, Romero is doubtful for the Spurs. Um, I guess before we kind of get into this, I I think it's important for me as a Chelsea fan to do something unexpected and thank Tottenham uh, for the outstanding service that they've done by hiring Antonio Conte. And I'm terrified of Antonio Conte, which is why I'm so thankful the Spurs have him as a cute mid-table team versus Manchester United having him as an absolutely terrifying uh, world-conquering force. So thank you guys for getting Conte before Manchester United could. Um, in his first game, Conte, uh, in his first game under Conte, Tottenham got their first clean sheet in two months. This is kind of what he does. He fixes messes, um, and God knows Tottenham was a mess. So no surprise to me at all. The way he plays and the way he coaches, he just has a track record of turning his wingbacks into absolutely monsters. 
So give me Regulon and Royale to really grow under his leadership. Uh, and if Kane and, and Son can snap out of their funk, I think they'll be right back in the European mix. Uh, on the other side, I'll admit I don't really have my f- my finger on the pulse of Leeds yet, but that statement implies I have my finger on the pulse anywhere. Uh, truth is, I'm more like a man in mittens walking around a morgue. Um, but, you know, maybe I'll bump into Deli Alley's career there, so it'll be worth the trip. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> uh, Leeds played a really entertaining game against Everton and are definitely looking to mix it up. But uh, I think this game ends with Conte sprinting up and down the sidelines in a beautiful suit at the end of the 90 with the home, fa- home fans clapping him for his first win. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, uh, since we, I'm going to try to give you a pulse on Leeds here. Um, so Leeds start off the season and, and Marco Bielsa, who's a legend in his own right. We got two of the, like craziest managers on the opposite sidelines here. Um, but Bielsa is kind of whole thing with Leeds has been defense optional. And through the first part of the year, they were getting absolutely torn apart. But since 10 2, according to understats data, they have allowed basically the second most or second least chances of any team other than your Chelsea. Um, so they've really tightened things up kind of under the radar defensively. And, um, we only have one like premier league match of data to look at with Spurs, but they created basically virtually nothing against Everton. And I'm not sold that like Emerson Royale is the kind of wing back that like thrives in a Conte system because he profiles more of like as a defensive fullback than a guy that Conte needs to like get into the box and try to score a goal, um, you know, like that's kind of the Hakimi role. That's where he made Victor Moses great. Um, and Emerson doesn't really fit that. I also don't think that like Ben Davis is your third center back. Is that great? Um, but that's a whole other thing. So I think this match is going to be pretty ugly and it's going to be pretty close. Um, so that draw at plus 300 is kind of calling my name. And I think that's where I'm going to stick my money on this one. All right. I like it quite a bit. Um, so Bringing up Victor Moses, a smart guy. You're not the only one who could dig up numbers about soccer <laughs> on the internet. Uh, I looked it up, and Victor Moses in his 2016-17 season for Conte at Chelsea, where he was absolutely revelatory, kind of pulled off the scrap heap and turned into one of the most valuable players in the league that year. He averaged 1.63 shots per 90 that year. And then I look at Regulon and I see that the odds for him to get off two shots in this game is plus 321. Uh, he had two shots in his first game under Conte. And given what you know, kind of his history is, and I think he does profile a little bit more of a, um, a Conte back that has really flourished under him. I don't think the odds are reflecting quite yet uh, what, what the wing back does in Conte's system. So... With Leeds inviting so much action and uh, you just having to get two shots without even them being on target, I like this one a lot. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like you said, uh, the market might not have really caught up to basically how Conte is going to ask his wingbacks to function because what um, Spurs tend to do or what Conte has always done is he likes to tilt one side of a field, overflow one side of the field, and let the opposite wingback kind of crash the box on that weak side. And that sets up perfectly for a guy like Regulon to just live in the penalty area unmarked, get off shots. Um, I definitely like it. I think it's a cool way to kind of attack a market inefficiency. Um, I'm going to go a little bit different though. 
uh, under the under to- total of two goals is plus 265. And as we just talked about, I'm still not super sold that like Harry Kane hasn't, you know, entered wash territory yet. Um, last year, you know, he was outstanding, you know, one of the better players in the premier league this year, his production at both basically surface level production underlying numbers have really dropped off. And then the other thing is, and I can't believe we're mentioning a player on this low on the totem pole, but Luke Eileen or Aileen, who's um, leads us right back is actually fit and he's going to play. And so my junior Furpo who might play on the left side. So Leeds might actually be playing with two fullbacks for the first time in a while. And Luke Eiling does a lot of stuff for Leeds in terms of helping them win the ball back and helping them keep the ball. And I think that's, you know, it's kind of like the Yuri Tillman's thing. I don't know if markets are that great at identifying the impact of one of those guys amongst 11. So that's why I kind of like that under two goals. I think Leeds is going to be a little bit stingier defensively. They might control possession a little bit more, and it might be more of a cagey, low-scoring match. So I kind of like that plus 265 for the under two goals. All right. So those are our five games. Uh, now, we're going to play have a little bit of fun before we sign off. We're going to do this each and every week because my favorite form of gambling isn't like the one-player game versus the books. It's the two-player game where you get a buddy and you, you know, put up some stakes and go head to head. So uh, Brett and I here are going to compete each week in something that we have called the five pint pickoff. Uh, we are going to take five pints and assign them to whatever bet that we want. You can put everything on one bet. You can spread it around however you want to do it. And at the end of each month, we're going to pay it off. So if I've returned the, you know, if I have the best return on the investment, six packs coming my way. If, if Brett beats me, most likely. Six packs going his way. Uh, the only kind of other rule that we're putting in place is because we record in advance of the lineups coming out and we're kind of using projected lineups. If a player doesn't play at least 10 minutes of the game, we're just going to wave it off as a no bet. You good with that, Brett? I'm good with that. Let's do it. All right. So for game week uh, this week, I am going to go for my five pint pickoff. I am going Hudson Adoy to get a shot on target at plus 150. I'm going two pints. Uh, Regulon to take the two shots at plus 321, one pint. Uh, Tottenham and Chelsea both to win. I'm parlaying those together. So instead of taking negative odds on both, I'm going to get that up to plus 213 for a pint. And then the one you really hate, Everton over 0.5 goals against Manchester United, uh, plus 128. I'm putting a pint on that. All right. Well, I want to make sure that you, that you have something really nice to drink, you know, at the end of this. So I'm going to actually put three of my pints on my boy, Jao Cancelo at plus 500. Because oh you know what? We're going to have some fun. <laughs> and oh man, my God. So we're going to put three on that. I'm going to put one on Liverpool at plus 140 for the two and a half goals. And then the final one is I'm going to take Leeds uh, Spurs under two goals for plus 265. And those are my five. Oh, and so man, when Kinsella scores, baby, next week is going to be miserable for you. Just I, miserable. You're better off giving those pints to Consuelo and hope he scores uh, <laughs> while he's kind of tipsy around the field. Uh, all right. So we've gone on long enough, guys. That's it for our uh, debut. You know, I tried to calm my nerves. This is, as I mentioned earlier, this is my first time ever hosting a podcast. So I tried to calm my nerves before the show by Googling worst debuts in soccer history uh, just to see how bad I'd have to be to make this list. And it turns out that Stanley Milton debuted at goalie for Halifax Town in 1934, and he let in 13 goals 
which is the biggest defeat in English league history. So while I don't think the show or myself is messy good yet, I just hope I wasn't Milton level bad. Uh, great job, Brett. Thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week playing an interchange between my terrible advice and his expert analysis. But until that time, enjoy the games.